Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we continue on our sermon series on the life of King David, we've come to a rather obscure passage as we get to the halfway point. Most people don't know this passage about Mephibosheth. Most people don't even know the name Mephibosheth. Most people don't even know how to pronounce the name Mephibosheth. And you have to commend Liz for reading that passage. I know most of you were probably envious. You wanted to be up here reading that passage and be the lay reader today. But that passage about Mephibosheth is really actually a really important passage for a lot of reasons because it reveals a lot of the character of King David. See, because David is multifaceted in who he is. If you know the story of the life of King David... He's kind of all over the place. From early on, he's this little shepherd boy forgotten by his family. He actually teaches himself how to play the lyre, a a stringed instrument, writes psalms. And then actually is this brave little kid who defeats the giant Goliath. And then goes into Saul's household and ends up becoming a threat to Saul, not because he tried to, but then Saul tries to kill him. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. Eventually becomes this mighty warrior. Eventually becomes king. And by the time we run into this passage here, he's established as a king. And there's certain laws during this time that when you're king, you're the law. In this particular neck of the woods, the ancient Near East, he becomes the law because he's so powerful. And in Eastern dynasties during this time, there was an unwritten law that he could have easily carried out because he was so mighty, because he was so powerful. And he was established. No one would have ever challenged him or faulted him if he had carried out what was normal during his day, which is... To seek out all of the previous king's family and exterminate them. That was normal. And the reason it was normal is because you wanted to remove any potential heirs to the throne, any threats, any rivals, any potential revolt or rebellion. And so it would have been David's right and actually proper during that time for him To seek out any heirs. Now it's really interesting because most people assumed that all of Saul's family were dead. Because if you know the story, his sons, Saul's sons, had followed him into battle. And they fought with him and they were all killed in battle. Including Saul died in battle. And Saul had almost destroyed the kingdom of Israel in the process. 
They were in rapid decline. And David rides in, and he's the hero, and everybody forgets about Saul and his family. However, there was a remnant. There was this one survivor. No one knew about. But there's also one other thing that, if you really know the story, David made a promise. He made a promise first to his best friend, Jonathan. And that's why this passage begins with, is there anybody left in the house of Jonathan, in the house of Saul, that I can befriend, that I can treat well? I'm sure that a lot of people who heard him are saying, yeah, right, that you can treat well. But that's what he said. And that's what everybody heard him say, even though they were probably thinking otherwise. And so we read his promise to Jonathan first, when Jonathan was still alive. Jonathan says to his friend David, if I'm still alive, assuming that Saul was no longer going to be king and Jonathan was no longer going to be king, but David would eventually become king. That's how much Jonathan thought of his friend David. If I'm still alive, show me the faithful love of the Lord. But if I die, never cut off your faithful love for my house, even if the Lord were to cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Thus Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord seek out the enemies of David. Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as as he loved his own life. So Jonathan was saying, If I have any heirs... Please protect them. Please let them live. Because I know you're going to be king, and I know the Lord's going to bless you, and you're going to be powerful. So Jonathan made him promise. Fast forward a little bit. For those of you that weren't here, we talked about the story where Saul was very vulnerable before David. And David had the opportunity to kill King Saul. And even though King Saul was trying to kill David, David refused. David said, I will not raise my hand against the king's anointed. That's not right. And so he spared King Saul. King Saul recognized David would eventually rise to the throne. And so Saul makes him promise. Now I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants after me that you will not wipe out my name from my father's house. So David swore this to Saul. So David made two promises, one to Jonathan, his best friend, one to King Saul, who he could have killed. And he said, I'm going to make sure if there's any descendants left, I'll take care of them. Which was pretty bold. Not normal during this day. The only line we read about Mephibosheth up to this point, this story that we read this morning, is this. And this comes from 2 Samuel chapter 4. This is after all of Saul's family had died in battle. And David was now taking over the kingdom. Saul's son Jonathan had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, and in her haste to flee, it happened that he fell and became lame. 
His name was Mephibosheth. That's the only word you hear about Mephibosheth. All Saul's family was dead. The assumption was that Mephibosheth's life was in danger. And so the nurse picked him up, decided to ride out of town, drops him, and he becomes lame. That's all we know. So David rides in, takes over the kingdom, becomes king, defeats the Philistines, establishes the kingdom. Now the kingdom's expanding. And his kingdom's secure. And I'm sure when he asks about Saul's heirs, everyone is thinking now he's going to make sure it's secure from any possible enemies from Saul's family. <clears throat> because that could be a possible threat. A possible rebellion. In fact, we know of one person who really couldn't stand David. His name's Shammai. When David's throne was usurped by one of David's sons, David's riding out of town to get away, and Shammai's throwing stones at David and cursing him. So we know there's one person that didn't like David, probably would have preferred Saul's family. But let's talk about Mephibosheth a second. Mephibosheth lives in obscurity. No one knows about him. That's why David has to ask. He's the grandson of a king. And yet no one knows about him. He chooses obscurity. He's probably fearful. He probably lives in shame. Maybe self-imposed. The name Mephibosheth, the suffix Boseth, in Hebrew means shame, interestingly enough. So who knows when he actually got that name? Maybe because he was Saul's grandson. Maybe because he was lame. Because in that day, if you were lame, you weren't a whole man. And he certainly didn't measure up to being someone who was kingly, who was like the warrior King David. And so Mephibosheth gets called by King David to come in. And I know what's on his mind. I'm done for. I chose to live in obscurity. And now I've been found out. And now I'm in big trouble. And so he comes to King David. And he says, I'm a dead dog. Just let a dead dog lie. I'm no threat to you. Just look at me. Mephibosheth is full of humility. Instead of coming and threatening him and saying, you know who I am? I'm Saul's grandson. He comes in humility. In fact, when he says the word dead dog, made me think of several stories in Scripture. For example, the story of the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus when he's on vacation, in effect, in Tyre. And says, my 
My child is sick. Would you heal my child? And Jesus says, I come for the house of Israel. I'm not here for you. Testing her faith. And she says, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Referring to herself as as if a dog comes to Jesus in humility. The story we read in the gospel today. The poor man Lazarus. Who laid outside of the rich man's gate. Who was surrounded by dogs who would get the crumbs, who would lick his sores. Who didn't make demands. Who just waited for his time and trusted the Lord. But I also think of Jesus. Jesus who washed feet. Jesus who went to a cross. And while he was on the cross, recited Psalm 22. It starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And my guess is continued to recite the psalm while he was on the cross. And you get to verse 6 that says, and I'm a worm and no man. Humbling himself for our sake. See, Mephibosheth came in humility, not knowing what to expect, expecting maybe the worst, but maybe hoping for mercy. And he said, I'm a dead dog. And this is where we begin to see the character of David come out. David shows kindness and mercy. He says, in effect, Mephibosheth, I made a promise. I made a promise to your dad. I made a promise to your granddad. You're going to be taken care of. Calls his servant Ziba. Says, Ziba, Mephibosheth is going to be okay. You're going to help take care of him. That's kindness. That's mercy. David understands the need for that. At one time, David was the one that lived in obscurity. He was the forgotten son. Out in the field. When all the sons were brought before Samuel, oh yeah, I guess I have one more son. I forgot about him. David had a sensitive heart. David had a protective heart for the helpless. He protected the sheep. David fought for the house of Israel. David was an interesting mix. He's a warrior king and yet had a kind and tender heart. What a mix. I read a story Carl Menninger put in a book entitled Vital Balance. And he tells a story about Thomas Jefferson when he was president. 
Thomas Jefferson was riding on a horse with a group of his companions. And, you know, you have to remember back in those days that presidents didn't have their picture all over the newspaper and all over the media. There was no television. There was no social media. And so they ride up to this swollen river. And several of his companions, the president's companions, cross the river on their horses. And this wayfarer on foot comes up to the group that's still on the one side of the river, looks at the group, chooses the president and says, would you mind taking me over to the other side of the river? So the president picks him up, puts him on his horse, takes him to the other side, lets him down. The man thanks him. One of the president's companions looks at him and says, why did you choose the president to take you across the river? And the man said, I didn't know that was the president. He went on to say, I looked at everybody's face. And he had a kind face and his face said, his face said yes. And that's why I chose him. David's face said yes. I wonder how many of our faces say yes when we see people. And how many of our faces are full of kindness? It's interesting to think about. Because David showed kindness and mercy to Mephibosheth. But he even went beyond that. Because the land that he could have taken that was rightfully his from King Saul, he gave back to Mephibosheth. Not only did he give the land back to Mephibosheth, he went on to say, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table every day. In other words, he started treating Mephibosheth from that day forward as if one of his sons, a king's son. Not in obscurity, no longer living in shame, no longer living in fear. He's restored to the king's household. You know, the first time, maybe probably the first several times I read this story, it was just a story. But eventually it dawned on me that this story about Mephibosheth is really the gospel. Because Saul, King Saul, is like Adam. He sinned. He walked away from the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord left him. And fear and shame came upon his descendants and actually deserved death.
But the Lord showed kindness and mercy. And not only kindness and mercy, but grace. That a king came and allowed the one that was fearful, the one that was in shame, the one that deserved death, to now be restored to the king's household. And not only that, to to sit and eat at the king's table, which we have the opportunity to do. It's the story of baptism. It's the story of communion. It's the gospel. And see, you'll never really understand the story of the gospel unless you first put put yourself in the place of Mephibosheth. That you really see yourself as one who is broken. That apart from the Lord, you're in fear and you're in shame. That you need a Savior because you're crippled and you can't help yourself. That you need God's grace. And then to put yourself in the place of David. Once you've humbled yourself, See, because what you have in this story are all people of humility. Mephibosheth, David. David did not lord it over Mephibosheth. But showed kindness and mercy because he understood grace. David was not perfect. If you know the rest of the story, David was not perfect. David understood kindness and mercy and grace and forgiveness. This is the gospel. And when we receive the gospel as Mephibosheth, and we become like David... then we can treat others as Jesus did. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can bestow grace to other people. We can have a face that says yes. And I wonder, does your face say yes? Does it say yes first to the Lord? And does it say yes to other people? Let's pray.
Lord, so often in the world we're told to live as the rich man in the gospel. To live for ourselves. To live insulated from others. Even insulated from you. Deaf to the prophets. And deaf to your call on our lives. To truly understand the gift of mercy and grace that you've given to us. To humble ourselves before you. So that we might truly be transformed by your grace. Lord, I pray that we might see ourselves first as Mephibosheth. Broken. Full of fear. Full of shame. And that we might be released from that fear and shame. Released to grow in the knowledge and love of you. And know you as the king who has invited us. Not only to be free, but to sit at your table. Grace upon grace. And that we might become like David. Those who show kindness and mercy. And even grace to those around us. And that we might have a face that says yes. First to you. And then to others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.